0: Alright, if you guys could turn to Matthew seven, seven through twelve. We'll continue with the Sermon on the Mount. So starting at verse seven, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Matt, uh, one announcement that I failed to make uh, at the start of the service is that uh, on October 29, I think. Pretty sure. Uh, We're gonna have a young adults luncheon after church. Um, This is for young adults, married, single, parents, or not. What? No, no, no. We're no. That's. Yeah, I I announced that one at the beginning. But now there's. We're doing more for these young people. It's crazy. (laughs) On October twenty nine, after church on Sunday morning, we're gonna have a luncheon just for you to get to know each other a little bit better. Um, Kate, is there a sign-up for that, or do you just come? Kate, are you here? You're here. Is there a sign-up for that? Yeah? There is a sign-up for that. If you could sign-up for that, guys, that would be great. This is not the slide for that. This is for today's luncheon. (laughs) Not, and then young adults, 5 PM tonight, free dinner and games, October 29 free lunch, and nothing else. <laughs> uh, we are indeed in the Sermon on the Mount, friends. And this morning we are going to turn our attention to one verse. Verse 12, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and prophets. This is, as uh, Matt mentioned in his prayer the famous golden rule, right? We've all heard of the golden rule. This is the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. It's quite famous. Uh, And and when you hear the golden rule today, you think to yourself, you know, it makes doing to others, treating others the way that we want to be treated. If only the world operated that way, everybody should do that. And it's it's intuitively, we say it intuitively makes sense to us. But interestingly enough, if you dig a little deeper, look a little further into the ethical systems of different religions or ideologies, you will discover and in history, you will discover, in fact, that it is not intuitive it is not normal for people to simply do to others as they would have them do to them. In fact, there are people who say you should not follow the golden rule that it it is unhealthy, it is unwise, it is against our human nature. George Bernard Shaw said the golden rule is there is no golden rule. That typically it's good to do good to those who are part of your group, so they're part of your family, they're part of your clan, Uh, They're part of your tribe. They're part of your nation. They're part of your race. Yes We should do good to to those people, but we shouldn't necessarily do good to all people We shouldn't necessarily treat everybody the way we want to be treated because as we all know there are The in in our group we need to treat them in our group. We should not treat them the way that we want to be treated and So we discover actually that this golden rule is somewhat unique other Religions and ideologies and stuff they do have a version of the golden rule, but it's very it's most often I should say put in the negative So it's don't treat others the way you don't want to be treated so that's put negatively uh, Confucianism Hinduism Buddhism even what you would call humanism that is sort of a secular kind of view of life where there is no God There is no transcendent power they all teach this negative version of the golden rule. But they don't teach the positive version of the golden rule, which is do to others as you would have them do to you. And that is actually a big deal. You might think, well, this is just sort of splitting hairs and, you know, it's, it's just different ways of saying the same thing. But actually, no, 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 no. If, if you're a parent, you know that there's a big difference between do unto others and do not do unto others. Let's say you have kids who are downstairs playing and all of a sudden you hear fighting and you run downstairs and you see a brother and sister, they're fighting over something, right? It's one thing to say to the boy, usually boys are instigators of these kinds of things. Not always, but I had three of them, so maybe that's why they instigated everything. Leave your sister alone. It's easier to tell them to do that than it is to tell them, be nice to your sister, and so the negative form of this golden rule is relatively easy to keep in the sense that you, you, you just, the rule, is relatively easy to keep in the sense that you, you, you just back off and you're passive and you just don't interact and you just make sure you don't do things that, that you don't want done to you. But the positive version of this, do to others as you would have them do unto you That's a whole other ballgame. And that's the one that Jesus gives us in this command. He gives us a positive command. Treat others the way you want to be treated. It's more than just do no harm, okay? Here's what Jesus is saying in the golden rule. He's saying, you owe other people whatever you want from them. You owe others whatever you want from them. We all want to be loved and we are called to love others the way we want to be loved. Now, you'll notice that this verse comes at the end of this section that Kevin preached on last week. This section on asking and seeking and knocking. And it, it feels a little bit like an add-on. And it's interesting in other versions where, you know, those headings that are in Bibles. That they're not part of the Bible, but they help you find things in the Bible. The headings before different sections. In some Bibles, this verse 12 is with the section after it on the narrow and wide gates and in other bibles like the NIV it happens before as part of the ask seek knock section and it makes sense that it comes as part of the ask seek uh, knock section because in that portion we learn that God is exceedingly generous That God is so gracious. He is so good to us. He lavishes His extraordinary gifts on His people. He is super generous. And so, because your father is so generous, because of X, do Y. Because your father is so generous to you, you should, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this, he says, sums up the law and the prophets. So the golden rule tells us to treat others not according to how others treat us, but according to how God treats us. That's the standard we're supposed to be looking at. Now that's a tall order, isn't it? In fact, it is an impossible order. You can't actually fulfill the golden rule. I can't fulfill the golden rule. No one can fulfill the golden rule. But as we've seen time and time again, when we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, that's actually the point. Jesus' point in giving us these these exceedingly difficult standards to attain that are virtually impossible for us to reach, the reason for that is because he's pushing us to know and to understand and to uh, believe that we need a savior. That's how Jesus' ethic works. It's this this kingdom of God ethic. The golden rule is God's standard for us that you and I cannot meet. And so it actually testifies to our need for a savior. Now what we're going to do, it's kind of a long introduction. What we're going to do is we're going to look at four things from this verse. Four things in this verse? Yes, there are four things in this verse. We're going to look at what's required of us, okay? Okay. What, or first, what it means. What does the golden rule mean? We've sort of done a bit of that already. We'll do, do a little more. What it requires, why it is impossible, and then how Jesus fulfilled it first. Okay? So, first of all, what does it mean? I've said it once, I'll say it again. This is a tweetable quote, people. The golden rule means what you want, you owe. What you want you owe. You are supposed to initiate in all your relationships the very thing that you want with others. We all need to love the way we want to be loved. That's, that's the measure of serving others that we're supposed to be looking for. So it's not what has been done to us, you don't look at a person that you're in relationship with and say, well, this person has treated me this way and therefore, as a result of that, I will treat them this way. No, you're supposed to look at your relationships and you're supposed to think, how do I wish this person was treating me? That's the way I'm going to treat them. And think about this. That means the only limit on fulfilling this command for you is your desire and your imagination. It's the only limit. What do you want? And how creative are you about what you want? Those are the only limits. If you do something stupid, how do you want other people to respond to your stupidity? If you're foolish, if you're bad, if you do something wrong, How do you want other people to behave? How do you want them to respond to you? Do you want people to love you and serve you despite your stupidity, despite your foolishness, despite your sinfulness? Yeah, you do. Okay, think about it this way. Let's say you're chasing somebody that you want to kill. Pretty common for many of us, I'm sure. And you're running along a cliff chasing this person and you fall off the cliff. But there's a root sticking out of the cliff, and you grab onto that root, and so you're hanging hundred or two hundred feet above the bottom of the gorge. And the person you are chasing who you wanted to kill, they stop and they see that you're gone, and you go, help, help me, help! And they go, What is that I hear? And they turn around and they come back and they look down, and there you are hanging over the cliff. What do you want them to do? You want them to help you, don't you? You don't want them to say, tough noogies, pal. You made your bed, now lie in it. This is your problem, not mine. Ha! Karma! No, you want them to say, despite the fact that you have been awful to me, despite the fact that you've been trying to kill me, I am going to save you. Now, you might think, oh, come on, balderdash. Is that really true? You know it's true because that's what you want from your good guys in the movies. It happens all the time in the movies. There's this really wicked character chasing a really good character, and the really wicked character is doing everything in their power to defeat the really good character. And then finally, through a twist of fate, through, through some crazy, unexpected turn of events, the good guy ends up on top at the end, and he has the opportunity to lash out and, 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 and avenge himself or herself. And what do they do? They don't. They don't do it, and you say, yes, that's the good guy. I know I'm old, okay? And so my movie references are terrible, because they're from so long ago. But if you're young and you have not yet watched The Karate Kid, I don't know what to tell you. In The Karate Kid, Mr. Miyagi's the good guy, John Kreese is the bad guy. They're both the dojo masters of, of Daniel and the Koba Kai. And at one point, John Kreese is beating up on Daniel, and Mr. Miyagi comes out of nowhere. And Mr. Miyagi and John Kreese square off against one another, and they're starting to fight, and Mr. Miyagi blocks everything because he's a super judo karate master. And at the end, he's holding John Kreese on his knees, and he says to him, he says, Look, no mercy. Ah! Honk, and he honks his nose. <laughs> and everybody says, yes, that's Mr. Miyagi. Not treating this man the way he deserves to be treating. Not treating him the way he, he ought to treat him in terms of giving revenge. No, he's the good guy. He is fulfilling the golden rule. We want that. And interestingly enough, Jesus says, you're to do that. You're to behave that way in Everything. He actually says, literally, everything whatsoever, it's not in our translation, but everything whatsoever, it's emphasized, it's not just in some circumstances that we do to others the way we want to do, have done to us, no, 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 it's all circumstances, and it's not just some people, you notice it says others, it doesn't say do to your friends what you want done to you, do to your neighbors what you want to do to you, what, what you do to your kids, do, to, do you want them to, to bleep, 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 bleep. It says others because it means everyone. So, so, so the girl in your class who is super annoying and nobody really likes, you're to treat them the way you want to be treated. The guy at work who only ever talks about himself Never really asks you anything about yourself. Shows very little interest in your life. You're supposed to treat them the way you want to be treated. Your kid. They're disrespectful or they're cold. They don't want to interact with you. They don't want to spend time with you. They're always in their room all the time. Whenever you ask them how things are going, they go, huh? How was your day? Fine. What do you want to do on the weekend? Busy. Hey, we're doing something, we want to get together, huh? That kid, you're supposed to treat them the way you want to be treated. Let me apply this to a complicated issue. You know, in our context right now, it's very difficult to understand how best to help the poor. And so a lot of people say, you know what, I want, to help the, I want to help the deserving poor. But you know, the guy, the panhandler on the street, who I think is really just going to just take that money and go to the liquor store or buy drugs or something like that, I don't know if they deserve my help. Is that how you want to be treated? When people don't know your story and you're down on your luck, so to speak, and your life is a mess and maybe it's your own stupid fault, most of the time it is your own stupid fault that your life is a mess, do you want others to look at you and say, "Ah, eh, you made your bed lie in it? I, I can't believe how convicting I have found this verse this week. I can't believe how thick-headed I am that it feels like this is the first time in my life I've really really let these words sink into my heart and I I cannot help but go back to the thing I always go back to I have to apologize to all my children because when they're stupid and they do something wrong I get angry less so now than I used to but I used to get angry I used to yell I used to threaten And I think to myself, when I'm a stupid, when I do something wrong, is that what I want from other people? That they get angry with me and they yell at me and they threaten me and they, they come down hard on me? Is that how I want to be treated? No, I'm not saying that you don't deal with the sin, that you don't address the problem. Of course I'm not saying that. However, I am saying what I wanted, when I think of the times where, where I have been up against it and people have laid into me, what I've wanted from them is gentleness. I've wanted compassion. That's what I've wanted. I've wanted Empathy. And I haven't always given it, particularly in that relationship. I don't know how many kids I have here this morning, but I'm sorry. This is point two, by the way, if you're keeping track. This is what God requires us of us. He, he requires that we be empathetic meaning that we we put ourselves in other people's place that we are, we stand in their shoes just for a minute you you have people in your life probably right now who are a problem to you and you kind of want to give up on them because they have hurt you they are cold to you they are hard to you they have disappointed you they have even mistreated you and you are ready to say i think i'm done And Jesus is saying, put yourself where they are. Can you feel what they're feeling? Can you you understand where they're coming from? If you do that, put yourself where they are. What do you you think they want? That's what it requires of us. It requires of us empathy, but it, it requires more than just empathy. It actually requires sacrifice. It requires selfless love. That's what this command is requiring of us. That you treat other people not as a response to how they're treating you. Because you see, there's people who will never ever treat you the way you want to be treated. They are hard-hearted. They are cruel. They are unkind. They are thoughtless. And they will never treat you the way that you want to be treated. And here Jesus is saying that that's actually irrelevant to your behavior. You treat them the way you want to be treated regardless of how they are responding. And that will require often enough a tremendous sacrifice because the first time you feel it, the first time you respond with gentleness and kindness after someone has lashed out against you and they've been a jerk towards you and you don't hit back, They're emotionally cold, but you respond in warmth and you don't give as good as you get. You'll feel the cost. You will feel it. You know, some people say we don't really need Jesus. We just need the golden rule. We don't need all the religion that goes around the golden rule. All this belief in Jesus and all this submission to him and all that kind of stuff. We just need the golden rule. You know what that proves? That proves that we're not thinking deeply enough about the golden rule. We're not listening to what it says. Friends, it is impossible. Impossible for you or me to actually keep this rule. You don't do to others what you want done to you. I don't do to others what I want done to me. You know why? Because we're all profoundly needy. We're all desperate for affirmation, for for validation, for acceptance. We're all longing for that. We We need people in our lives to validate us, to accept us, to affirm us. So that we can feel good about ourselves. This is what sin has done to us. Sin, you see, your rebellion against your creator. My rebellion against our creator. That sin has caused us to lose this sense of security that comes from knowing that you are being loved entirely, completely, unconditionally. And so you and I are chasing this validation all over the place. And we're looking for it in our friends. And we're looking for it in our spouses. And we're looking for it in our kids. And so every one of us turns all our relationships into a a business relationship. We're simply there to use them. And you say to yourself, well, no, I don't think I'm doing that. Well, I didn't think I was doing that when I was angry with my kids either. I thought I was standing up for... God's standard of righteousness. I thought I was putting them on the straight and narrow, on the path to truth. But what I came to realize is, is that much of my, my anger and much of my, my, my harshness was rooted in my own need to have kids validate my ministry as a pastor. And I'm probably not the first one to do it. And thankfully, most of you didn't look at my kids that way and go, well, that guy can't be a good minister if he's got kids do it now. You don't know. Like, it's not like my kids are all that bad, actually, thank God. But, uh, but my point is this. Because we have this longing, this need for acceptance and, and affirmation, we turn our relationships into vehicles to receive that, and that means we become Users. We can't do to others what we want them to do. What we want them to do to us because we need them to fill us up. You know, right now I, I've been learning a fair bit about um, toxic people. You hear you hear this language these days of, of people cutting out toxic people out of their lives. And in fact, actually, it's become a bit of a thing among Gen, X, Gen Z and their parents. I've done a lot of reading on this this week. And it's called No Contact. So you go on TikTok and you search no contact or whatever, you get all these videos of these Gen Z people saying that they have cut off relationships with their parents. And and the reasons are because their parents were dysfunctional, they were overbearing, or they were hypercritical, or they were controlling. They they usually use the language, 75% of the time, they use the language of emotional abuse. And though there may be kernels of truth in many of those testimonies, psychologist after psychologist have been writing op-ed pieces in the New York Times and the LA Times and in the Atlantic and in the Wall Street Journal and all these kinds of papers and magazines. And what they're saying is, is very often the story really boils down to kids who are not getting the validation for their choices and decisions that they want from their parents, and so they cut them out. Cut them out, not, and sometimes for years No contact. Because we tend to use others for our ends. A kid says to their parent, you're not validating me. You're toxic. And the parent says, you're not listening to me. You're ungrateful. You're toxic. We can't fulfill this command. We cannot do it. But Jesus can do it for us and he has. Because you see, the gospel is basically this. You're unable to put yourself in someone else's place. And Jesus says, so I put myself in yours. I lived the life that you should have lived, and I died the death that you should have died. I put myself in your place. Do you remember in John chapter 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet? Some of you might be aware of this story. It's the day before he's going to the cross, and Jesus is in the upper room, and he is washing his disciples' feet, and it's an awful job, okay? These guys are walking around with grime caked on their feet from a day in the streets, and in the streets of Jerusalem at that time, it wasn't just dust that you were getting on your feet. There's a lot of goats and chickens and stuff running around doing their business and they go upstairs and they're about to have dinner together and it's the custom that you wash your feet before dinner because they stink but it's a very menial task in fact the Jews were not even allowed to require another Jew to wash their feet even if that Jew was a slave all the disciples are sitting around there nobody wants to do it it's too menial beneath them instead actually luke tells us they're fighting over who's going to get the plum cabinet position in the coming kingdom of god and jesus finally he stands up and he walks over and he gets the base and he strips down to his underwear and he gets in front of his disciples feet and what does he do he starts washing them now think about this in order for him to get to wash these feet what does he have to do he has to get dirty water splashing on him, the mud and the grime getting in his face. Maybe he's smelling the wafting, disgusting vapors as they come up from his, from his uh, into his nostrils. Nobody wanted to do what they wanted done to them. Everybody wanted their feet washed, but nobody wanted to get it done. So the Son of God, think about this, God himself He kneels at his disciples' feet. And if you're here exploring Christianity and you're wondering about whether it's true, let me just tell you something that is absolutely true. There is no other prophet, there is no other world religious leader who did this, who's done this the way Jesus had done this. He loved us the way we want to be loved And think about it, he doesn't get anything out of it. He doesn't need our validation. He's not doing it for our affirmation. He's not doing it to feed his weak, insecure ego. He's doing it out of love. That's it. Out of love. And so what that must mean is that he must love you beyond your wildest dreams. You give Him nothing in the sense that you you don't add to His glory, you don't add to His majesty, you don't add to His his power, you you don't add anything to Jesus. All you get is His love. All you experience is Him doing to you as you would have done to you. And you see, only when that sinks into us, does this kingdom ethic where, where we do to others as we would have them do to us, only then can we even begin to start fulfilling it. Because now we're not looking for our kids' obedience to validate our ministry. Or for that business card that says, Senior Vice President of Marketing to validate my identity. And we're free to love as we've been loved. You know what the the other version of this golden rule is in the Bible? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Jesus fulfilled it for us so that we could be free to begin fulfilling it for others. Let's pray. Father, what a profound challenge you lay before us in this. Command. We glibly call it the golden rule, but oh, how it cuts deep when we think about it. Thank you, Jesus, for fulfilling it for us. Now, please, fulfill it in us as we love others. In your Son's precious name we pray. Amen. All right. Kids, if you are in grade five or six, you are free to attend Sermon Breakout with Jody. Uh, For those of you who are guests, kids who are in grade five and six, they spend a bit of time after the sermon going in a little deeper with a leader, how to apply the message uh, to their lives. It's one of the ways we try to disciple young people into understanding the sermon and why we listen to it and how we uh, apply it to our lives. I don't know if we have uh, that thing going anymore. Is that thing going anymore? Who's, where is someone who knows something? It is, Eric, yeah? Okay, good, good stuff. Um, we have an opportunity now for questions. Um, let's see here. How do we sacrifice ourselves and love others when it could be enabling other people's laziness or complacency or bad behavior? How do we show love in truth when others believe lies and untruth? Do we stand for truths when it could be perceived as unloving? Um, Yes. It's not... So there's something called the platinum rule, okay? Someone asked me about that even before church. They already knew what the message was going to be on. They asked me about the platinum rule. And the platinum rule is uh, do unto others as they would have you do unto them. And the idea is, is that like, hey we all have different ways of being loved and things that matter to us, and, and, and et cetera. And so we receive love the way, uh, we should give love the way the person wants to receive it. And that's a little bit what, what can happen when someone believes a lie. Should you continue to believe that lie and offer them that lie? And the answer is no. So scripture, the, the golden rule only works, <laughs> but it does work, when you have been converted because what you want when you're a follower of Jesus Christ is you want the truth you want to see reality as it really is and so sometimes the loving thing to do is to point out the truth and reality to an individual in order that they can adjust their perceptions so that it lines up with reality and if a person like is if they're if they're Financial situation is, is simply due to laziness and complacency and an unwillingness to work. You, of course, are going to help a person for a period of time to make changes but, or, or to provide sorry, material uh, um, relief for their circumstances. But you're also, if you're truly loving them, you're also going to help them step out of a pattern of, of life that they ought not live with and, and learn to live in a way that... that mm-hmm is in line with reality, as I just described. You're going to help them, you know, to find work, and you're going to help them learn how to work well, and you're going to help them advance themselves uh, so that they're no longer dependent on you for your for your help. The, the thing is, is if you, as a Christian, think about, how do I want to be treated? Then the answer is, I want to be, in a loving and gracious way, I want to be directed toward God. God. That is the the core need and longing of my life. And so I'm going to do that with others in my life. Like I said, you know, it wasn't wrong for me to want to correct my kids when they were young, but it was wrong for me to correct my kids the way I did because I know that that's not how I want to be corrected. I know that that's not uh, uh, very um, effective with me. And so why would I treat another person that way? Um... Yeah, so a comment, someone asked me to make a comment about Golden Rule and abuse situations. So you don't want to be abused. Uh, and so you, you sometimes, for the sake of safety, uh, need to limit a relationship with someone who has been abusive. And you certainly need to point out to them that this relationship is abusive. And you're not expected to remain abused in that relationship but at the same time i want to make a counter caveat to that because to be honest with you what i have seen is as our culture be, our culture is more and more willing to condemn than forgive it just is like that's what cancel culture is all about like you're canceled you sinned you're wrong that's it you're out and what i am trying to call us back to is what I hope is a more biblical balance where we do not allow ourselves to be mistreated and abused by others. You know, there's abuse in the sense that, ah man, this person like uses our relationship because every time we talk, it's all about them and I'm just there to make them feel better. They're abusing the relationship, but that's not like abuse that is endangering to your well-being. Then there's abuse that's very endangering to your well-being, and I am certainly not advising you to, you to maintain a relationship with someone in which your well-being is, is being uh, undermined by the relationship. You need to protect yourself, and you need to. And what loving, a loving thing to do in a situation like that would be to actually point out what that person is doing and say, "Until things change, we need to limit." Uh, our contact but this idea of like you're cut off and there is no way back there is no path to redemption there is no hope of restoration that i think goes against the 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 command to do to others what you would have them do to you